It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 216, Nebuchadnezzar's Insanity. History speaks of the great exploits of King Nebuchadnezzar, for the Neo-Babylonians are the consequence of his father Nebuchadnezzar and his works. The subsequent rulers of Babylon will be lackluster. Here is what Josephus writes about what Nebuchadnezzar did to make Babylon great at this time. He adorned the temple of Belus and the rest of the temples in a magnificent manner with the spoils he had taken in the war. He also added another city to that which was there of old and rebuilt it, that such as would besiege it hereafter might no more turn the course of the river and thereby attack the city itself. He therefore built three walls round about the inner city and three others about that which was the outer city. And this he did with burnt brick. And after he had, after a becoming manner, walled the city and adorned its gates gloriously, he built another palace before his father's palace, but so that they joined to it, to describe whose vast height and immense riches it would perhaps be too much for me to attempt. Yet as large and lofty as they were, they were completed in fifteen days. He also erected elevated places for walking of stone and made it resemble mountains, and built it so that it might be planted with all sorts of trees. He also erected what was called a pencil paradise, because his wife was desirous to have things like her own country, she having been bred in the places of media. This pencil paradise, with elevated places for walking, high stones that resembled mountains covered in plants and shrubs and flora from all sorts, was the famed Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the famed wonders of the world. A floral mountain in a desert would have been a wonder to see. Now, there is some historical doubt as to the reality of this project by some out there, but there is enough historical references to it to alleviate most doubters of this project. Most of the questions are to the scale of the project and how big it really was. Maybe history has grown this project out of scale because it fits into that, you know, wonders of the world category. And also it was described by Herodotus, who was the world proclaimer of this wonder as well as, you know, the father of history, yet also the exaggerator of history. Regardless, Nebuchadnezzar builds a very impressive botanical park in this desert river crossroads commercial capital city, and the world is stunned by his feat of architecture and engineering skill. Further, there is some speculation, and yes, I I did get this from the History Channel, and some um, I can't even remember the show. I think it was maybe Engineering and Empire Babylon. Um, and it spoke of how screw pumps were an ancient innovation used here, potentially an ancient innovation used here before its time, and it was lost to history afterward. Somehow the water had to be pumped in, from the rivers into flowing elevated reservoirs for irrigation. And when I watched this show, I was reminded Daniel was there. Now, this is where we have to have a little fun. Who invented 
this engineering feat? Who invented these screw pumps? Well, who was the wisest of the wise men? Maybe it was the man with 10 times more wisdom. Maybe Daniel and his friends. Isn't that interesting? Nebuchadnezzar conquered. But man, he was a builder too. He built many a temple. Herodot estates, he built the Tower of, rebuilt um, and upgraded the Tower of Babel. And there is, of course, the huge gold statue, now the Heen Gardens. And his lead project engineer in Babylon was none other than Daniel himself. Interesting speculation. And it's funny, not provable, but still very probable. Daniel was the one who invented this technology thousands of years before its actual reinvention. I like to connect these historical dots. If Daniel was the lead engineer administrator in Babylon, everything was under his supervision. In fact, we can align Daniel with nearly every building project in Babylon at this time. So as we continue to tell the story of King Nebuchadnezzar, we have to keep in mind the man right under him, and that's Daniel. Daniel grows in power in Babylon. He becomes this chief administrator of the kingdom. He has no real involvement, as far as we know, in the military. But when Nebuchadnezzar is out of town, Daniel effectively runs the non-military side of the entire empire. That's more power than any of the previous kings of Israel, with maybe an exception of a few of them. The amount of power and wealth at Daniel's disposal was immense, and his three friends were right there with him in promotion. Daniel 4 is super interesting because it is a worldly declaration or letter written from Nebuchadnezzar himself to his subjects. It's like um, a a rewrite of the actual declaration that he sent to his subjects. It's an international message delivered by the most powerful man in the world to his subjects, declaring the overriding, omnipotent power of God. The fact that it's even in the Bible is amazing. Nebuchadnezzar was consistently given the power to reset nations and many times over. And the Bible states that he had power over them, even the beast of the field. Though Nebuchadnezzar worshipped his gods, I get the feel he knows of the God of Daniel, and in humble moments he asks Daniel and listens to his counsel. And I really believe Nebuchadnezzar listens in those moments of weakness. Yet in our current timeline, those times are really few and far between. Because pride has risen in Nebuchadnezzar to the highest heights of all humanity. The pride of Nebuchadnezzar must have been spectacular. I mean, he conquered the world as he knew it. He created the most elaborate, expensive city in the known world, decorated it like a jewel. He owned the world gold reserves, and he surrounded himself with the best the world offered. He walked along the terraces of his palace and marveled at his greatness and what his hands had created. In the place of Babel, he actually has rebuilt the Tower of Babel. He's built this tower to rule the world and an empire with it. God would intervene because that's what he does. And in fact, it's almost like Nebuchadnezzar just went way too far when he started on the tower project again. Because now he's invited God to intervene again because he did it before. 
God is not a respecter of monopolies of businesses, languages, or world empires. When monopolies have their full extent of power, typically they are torn down. No power base in the world can be sustained for too long. Instead of the Babylonian empire crumbling, God did something different this time. He humbled its leader. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. In summary, pride goes before a fall. Daniel 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language you live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. And when the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky, and it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. And under it the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground and the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth, and gives them to anyone he chooses, and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. See the honor Nebuchadnezzar bestows on Daniel? It's incredible. So the dream was a massive tree of life of sorts. Then an angel says, cut down the tree and leave the stump. Then the angel said, leave him to live like a beast in the field and let him learn humility to God. Daniel 4, 19. Then Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. 
to Daniel's reaction, and he's greatly concerned for his friend the king. There's there's two different ways to look at this. Uh, Daniel has true compassion for his king, and I think it's a mix of both. And I believe they become friends over the years. And interesting is the favor Daniel has with this worldly king, and and much less how he actually cares for him too. The violent destroyer of his homeland. I mean, Daniel should really naturally have problems with Nebuchadnezzar. But there is no hate or unforgiveness in Daniel. He's dealt with it all. Instead, he loves Nebuchadnezzar, and he shows his love for his king. King, may you live forever, was that statement that you read it sometimes. My king, may this word apply to your enemies instead, he says. Daniel's wise with his words and wise with his heart. And also there's something else to consider. Now, he's made friends with this king and he cares for him and serves him, but there's something else. Daniel was perplexed. He was astounded. He was terrified with the dream. For another reason, too, potentially. He knew the painful interpretation of it. And he was forced to confront this most violent man alive to tell him that God was about to judge him again. Now, that's scary, but Daniel did it. And that's what makes Daniel a hero in the Bible. Imagine yourself. um, You're told to confront an extremely violent person and to tell him that God was about to judge him. That would be hard to do. And this is something that Daniel had to do. What if Nebuchadnezzar turned violent on Daniel? There's so much going on, probably internally with Daniel, and how he's trying to understand how to deliver this message, yet he does it. Daniel 4.20 The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant life, providing food for all, giving the shelter to the wild animals, and having resting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion exceeds, extends to distant parts of the earth. Awesome interpretation. Now the hard part. Daniel 4.23 Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it. But leave the stump, bound with iron and bronze, in the grass of the field, while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the wild animals, even seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation. Your majesty, this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and give them to anyone he chooses. The command to leave the stump in the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. And it may be that your prosperity will continue. Daniel understands the dream, defines it to him, tells the king to repent because judgment was coming. Instead of a horror echoing through the palace and the death of Daniel ordered, there was a silence and the accompanying fear of the Lord which rested on the convicted Nebuchadnezzar, just like when Nathan rebuked David. The king probably was cut to the heart 
but without a steadfast devotion to God, he probably went about two weeks with the fear of the Lord, not committing too many sins, another two weeks on the fence, and afterward worse than ever, killing innocent people, which the historians echo how violent he was, committing indecent acts, which are echoed as well in the history books, and behaving overall worse than before until it caught up with them. And how does it go? If the demon goes, and if it's swept clean, he comes back with seven more. Nebuchadnezzar was probably much worse than when he did repent temporarily to God. Daniel 4, 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, is not this the great Babylon I build as the royal residence by my power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and give them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. So historians and Bible scholars disagree on what exactly happened to Nebuchadnezzar at this point. I've heard a variety of interpretations, though most Bible teachers don't seem to want to point to these verses, for they invite interpretation and lead to so many questions, more questions than answers. And I've heard a variety of references. Um, Perry Stone was one of them. He likes to refer to this as wolfman disease. David Gusak from the online commentary references a form of insanity in which men think of themselves as animals and imitate the behavior of an animal that's been observed. Some call it generally insania zoanthropica, and more specifically in Nebuchadnezzar's case, boanthropy, the delusion that one's an ox. And he's even got a quote from a, a, a guy historically, Wolverd, who quotes a, a Dr. Raymond Harrison of Britain, who in 1946 had a patient suffering from boanthropy, just as Nebuchadnezzar suffered. So, I mean, there are some scholars out there um, that give it a shot, and they, and they try to explain, you know, maybe some disease or some mental disorder that Nebuchadnezzar had. But honestly, we're bordering on a Ripley's Believe It or Not type creature or someone from the greatest show on earth. I cannot agree with the wolf man because of the references to the hair um, and his hair and feathers and nails of a bird. And maybe it's a combination. Regardless, this was freaky, and Nebuchadnezzar was completely humbled, unlike any man who ever walked the earth. And God even told him ahead of time it's going to happen. And then he said, went so far as to say, and seven times you will repent. And something to not miss here is that, is, is that for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar was absent from his palace and rule. 
Surely family members went after the throne and fought for power, but as they struggled against each other, who was the most powerful man alive? The one with the strings of the government, Daniel. At some point during the seven years, Daniel was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. We're way beyond the age of Joseph. We're now in the time of prophets and empires. And here we are, a modern-day Joseph. And let's conclude this episode um, with what happens after Nebuchadnezzar repents and how he repents within the body of this wolf, ox, bird, creature. I don't know. Um, I don't know. But this is his words, and, and this is his letter to his people after he's restored, literally agreeing to the humility that he went through um, and how horrible his pride was and his restoration to his throne. What a decree from the man who destroyed Jerusalem. Daniel four thirty four, And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right and all of his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So here's another programming note. We'll be taking the next few weeks off due to some long weekend trips in July. Talk to everyone soon. And as always, thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, or share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.